have a little nativity scene and we leave baby Jesus out of the nativity scene until Christmas Day and um, always have this moment, you know, in, some, at some point in Christmas Day, usually after the wrapping paper is strewn all over the floor and everything, um, you know, uh, we'll get baby Jesus out and, and put him in the manger. And it was cool this year, Quinn was like able to remember that, you know, and he um, said, let's go get baby Jesus. And they go find him because we have to hide him because Quinn keeps trying to birth baby Jesus before Christmas Day. So we hide him so he can't find him. Um, this morning, we're going to be looking at Matthew 2, and we're going to be looking at uh, the story of the wise men and coming and bringing honor and praise and glory to Jesus. And so I'm going to read um, verses 1 through 12 in Matthew, and um, I invite you to stand if you'd like. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Amen. You may be seated. You know, the story of the wise men takes place um, probably shortly after, or sometime after, um, the birth of Jesus. And so they are... They are making this journey, um, likely from um, Babylon, um, where they would have heard. You know, these are, these are non-Judean individuals. They are, you know, who knows, maybe Babylonian. But they're, they're coming from there, and they're traveling. They're making this journey. And they come to Jerusalem in search of a king. And it's interesting, you know, we've highlighted um, throughout this, this Advent season, right, the, the idea of expect the unexpected. And in some regards here, the wise men, they're not actually expecting the unexpected. Because they go to Jerusalem and they show up at the palace of Herod asking for the king of the Jews. And so for even in their context, right, the king of the Jews, that idea, we're, we're searching for the king of the Jews, that thought 
is already from the very beginning this earthly thought, right? It's this, this positional thought that the, the wise men come seeking this new baby, this king of the Jews. And so they go to Jerusalem and they inquire about his whereabouts. Spurgeon says this, it says, A stir begins as soon as Christ is born. He has not spoken a word. He has not wrought a miracle. He has not proclaimed a single doctrine. But when Jesus was born, at the very first, while as yet you hear nothing but infant cries and can see nothing but infant weakness, still his influence upon the world is manifest. When Jesus was born, there came wise men from the east, and so on. There is infinite power even in an infant Savior. I just thought that was so well said, you know? Because Jesus doesn't come in hostility. He doesn't come to overthrow a government or dethrone anyone. He comes as an infant, And he comes not in hostility to any established power, but he comes in weakness and in peace. And the wise men, they they go and they seek him at the palace where Herod is. And just the question, do you know where this infant king of the Jew is, right? Creates angst. It creates hostility. It creates fear of, a nut, of someone rising up and overtaking Herod's throne. And yet, it's just this infant, you know? But yet, so much power, so much authority is implied to, to his birth. And again, a couple of weeks, you know, we had talked about, about that, and that, that doesn't come from Jesus, right? That comes from God the Father. God the Father exalted. God the Father elevated baby, this baby Jesus to that level. And he continues to do so, right? In the sense that these wise men come, they honor, and they worship him. It's also an interesting fact that, you know, these wise men, they're following the star, right? But yet they stop in Jerusalem and inquire, And then the passage goes on to say that the star actually then does lead them to the house where Jesus is. And so as we think and as we look into kind of our own context of like how often when when we're supposed to be focusing on Jesus, right? When we're focusing on Christ, it's so tempting to get distracted, right? Or it's so easy to get refocused on something else and ask questions or inquire. I know um, I'll, I'll do this often, you know, even in like in sermon preparations, I'll be like processing and I'll be reading and I'll be studying and I'll be like praying and then I'll be, come across something and I'm like, I don't know, like, is it this way? Is it that way? Which, you know, and so like I'll call up Tim or I'll call up, you know, I'll call up bite work and be like, all right, so this is what I'm thinking, you know, and there's nothing really wrong with that, right, because they're a wealth of knowledge as well, and it's great to be in conversation. But that idea of, like, how often do we go seek outside of him, you know? How often do we just kind of doubt what has been guiding us and 
question others or look to someone else or look to something else in our life. And we don't stay focused on the cross. We were just, Corey and I were talking um, a couple, couple weeks ago when we said, I wonder, I wonder if the cross in the center of our worship, center, worship space is as bold of a statement as it was, you know, like a month ago. And I think it was more like a conversation for us as it was more evaluative of like how we see it. Because it's like, that was a big deal, right? I mean, Byron, you remember that moment. I mean, that was a big deal for us to put the cross here at the center, you know? And, and now it just is there, you know? And this is its new home. And, and we realize like we get comfortable with that. You know, we get very much at peace with that. And there's probably some, there's, um, some of that I'm sure that took place. You know, if you look at verse um, 11, it says, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And so, assuming the house is the, uh, the correct description of where they're staying now, right? They're, they're somewhat established in Bethlehem. They've been there for a little while now. They're somewhat established. They have this baby. They're getting into this rhythm. They're finding the routine. And, and the significance of a moment, right? The, the fullness of what just happened, right, can kind of fade. I know with um, our two kids, you know, it's like, especially with our first, you know, just because it was our first, we never had a baby before. And like, you know, you have that moment where they're like, okay, you're discharged from the hospital, and you're like, wait, you're going to trust me with this thing? And like, let me, I just, I can walk out, you know? And it's like, it's like this ironic moment where it's like they won't let you walk out because they're afraid that you're going to fall with the, your newborn baby in your arms. So they, they literally, like, they wheelchaired Christina out to the sidewalk, right? But then I can strap this infant in a car seat, right? <laughs> That's like, who knows? It like, they just checked on it to make sure it was in right. But like then, and we can drive off, you know? But like she couldn't walk to the, you know? Um, and also now it's like, here we are, you know? And we go home and like you're sitting there holding this child and you're just like, like, what do I, do I, do we just sit here? Like, what do we do? Like, okay, got this baby, you know? And and then the days go by, and you realize, oh, I don't actually have to hold this little child, like, 24-7. I can put it down, and, and he'll probably be okay. And, um, you know, like, he doesn't move yet, so, like, if I just lay him on the floor, it, you know, nothing should happen. And, but you get, you get accustomed to it, right? You get used to it, and you get, you get comfortable, and all of a sudden you realize, like, you, you know... The next thing you know, like, the one day we come into the room not thinking Quinn could really get anywhere, and he, like, had scooted himself, like, into the corner under a chair. And you're like, where's my kid? You know, and here he is, like, happy as can be. But, like, and, and it's, it's something new, and you get used to that, and, and now they do this, and now they do that. And, and so in that same regard, right, like, how many Sundays do we come and we talk about Jesus? How many Sundays do we come and we talk about God? How many times do you have a conversation with a spouse or a friend or a family member about faith, about God? And it kind of just be the norm, right? It just kind of is commonplace. And, and I love that there's time between the wise men coming 
in Jesus' birth. Because it just kind of reestablishes the significance of his birth, right? And it refocuses us on this, this king, like the purpose of his birth. And it gets us to think and it gets us to refocus and say, you know, there's no political move in this, right? But he is a king. He comes with authority. He is to be sought out. He is to be seen. And he is to be worshipped, to be given honor, to be given glory. Matthew 2 verse 6 quotes Micah chapter 5. And and they say, you know, the wise men learn that it is in Bethlehem indeed, right? Because King Herod goes to the scribes and they come back to him with this information, with this prophecy from Micah chapter 5. And I've, I've wrestled with this passage this week because it is a passage in Micah that is forward-looking, but yet is so real for us today. And so often we hear it in terms of, like, it looks towards the birth of Christ. But all week long, I've been kind of, like, getting stuck in this place of being like, no, but this is still true. You know, when we come to the end of a year, we always think back, right? We reflect, oh, what was 2015 like? And, and uh, if, like the Today Show, they do like the pictures, of, like best pictures of 2015 you know, on Facebook. You always see like, you know, famous moments or, you know, whatever of 2015. And you capture all these moments. And then you get to like New Year's Eve and it's like, okay, so what's the hope? What's the wish for 2016? You know, and you, and you look forward. And that's kind of what this passage does is it, it, it looks forward and it gets us thinking about what is to come. And for those in the era of Micah, right, it was the birth of Jesus Christ. But for us, we have that and we rejoice in that and that's a great thing. But there is still something for us to look forward to. On the, on the big picture, right, we have the looking forward to Christ's return, you know, and that moment where we get to see Jesus face to face and we get to be in his kingdom and he then truly does reign in, in like face to face, like in the flesh, right? But I think there's something even more like tangible than that, Right? more than just the waiting and the anticipating for, for the return of Christ, is, is what Micah has to say about who Christ is and his character. So Micah, uh, I'm going to read Micah chapter 5, um, 1 to 5. Micah says, says, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod, they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me, for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, 
whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. This was um, at a time where Israel was facing opposition, and um, this was kind of leading up to the um, foreshadowing of the time of the exile, Babylon exile. And, um, you know, Micah's prophesying, and we get to that phrase, right, that we heard in Matthew, O Bethlehem. Least of these. Presents this hope, right? It gives us this picture of something to anticipate. Even in the midst where Mike is saying, like, rally the troops, get ready for war, get ready to defend yourself. It's going to be tough, but there is hope. Because even in the smallest city of Judah, Right? In Bethlehem, who can't even be counted as a clan, there will come a ruler. And see, when you have a prophecy like this and you're talking about um, nations coming against nation, it's very easy, right, to understand why Herod and the wise men would have interpreted this as a political place, right? As a political thing. That's why they went to the palace, right? But as we see in later in Jesus' life, when he's standing before Pilate, what does he say? He says, well, my kingdom is not of this world, right? I have a spiritual kingdom, spiritual authority. And that's where he reigns. And it's an authority that, that covers over all the governing bodies on earth. And so it's, it's greater, right? It's not even comparable. And Micah goes on and he, he looks at this coming king. And I, verse 4, such a strong passage of scripture. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. In the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. That's something to still hope for. I think that's something that is even more so a tangible reality in our day than even when Christ walked on the earth. When Jesus leaves his disciple. He says there's someone greater coming, right? And he gives the Holy Spirit. And it is through the Holy Spirit that we have this connection with the Father. And it's through the Holy Spirit that we have this connection with our brothers and our sisters who know Christ. And it's through the Spirit that we have the ability to live and function within the giftings within the authority and within the design of who God has created us to be. 
And so the ability to be shepherded in our current state is very real and very present. When I look back over 2015 and even, I would say, this became real, like real present in my family's life beginning 2000, 2012. When Quinn was born, my wife said, I want to be home. And so together we said, okay, no idea how we're going to do this, but we're going to honor the value of us as parents raising our kids and not working to do the childcare thing. And that was just a value that we had, and so we we're going we're gonna to walk that out. We knew that we couldn't make it, you know? And yet, from that moment, God has provided over and over and over again. And if that's not shepherding, right? If that isn't God shepherding my wife and I and how we raise our family and how we engage, I don't know what is. And it is such a real presence. I mean, this is like tangibly like getting, getting money in the mail or getting someone dropping off a meal or, um, you know, s- some friend, family friends growing out, their kids growing out of a car seat that just happens to be like what we need at that moment, you know, and like anything right, that, that we were in need, like, God provided, and he continues to do that, and, and I mean, I could track this, you know, um, specifically back to that moment in our life, and, and that, to me, that's a picture of how God seeks to shepherd his people. We are a part of the flock at Parker Ford Church, Right? And if you remember, a part of um, the discussions and conversations back in June was around shepherding, wanting to embrace shepherding, wanting to set up systems and structures that honor shepherding. And so I think even in like our own walk as a church, we recognize that shepherding is, is so important is so valuable within the body of Christ. And here it says, right, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. It's kind of weird because the he looks forward, right? And so we apply Christ there. So Christ will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, which is kind of like the same name as him, right? But that you know, we look to John um, chapter 10, and it's all this whole passage about Jesus being the good shepherd, Jesus being the great shepherd. And here it is in Micah, right, saying that he will shepherd in the strength of the Lord. And so in who he is, he is the good, he is the great shepherd, and he will shepherd us within his strength. Well, what is his strength? It's in, I can't even describe his strength because he is the one who created us. John 1, 1, right? It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So through Christ, God created the world. God created us. And then through Christ, he comes and is going to be, is born into the world, 
right? So that we can um, have a Savior and then have access to the Father in the same way that it was originally designed for us to have access to the Father. And here we are, right? He, he dies on the cross. He gives us all this language about shepherding us, walking us through. I mean, is there any greater story in history of someone caring for his creation so much so that he sacrifices himself so that he can more effectively meet us where we're at and continue to shepherd us, continue to walk us through life. I think it's very fitting that this morning most of our hymns and our songs related to God's love, right? It's such a beautiful expression of God's love. One of the biggest struggles about being shepherded is agreeing that you are lovable enough for someone to care that much about what we do. I think that's one of the biggest lies that we hear throughout life is we question how much does someone really love us? You know? I get mad at my wife because I'm like, you're not loving me! You know? And, and like, all she did was like, not pour me a cup of coffee or something, you know, like, and it's like, ah, you know, there's just so much in life that we interpret as making us unlovable or, or we're not able to um, receive love. But Jesus Christ in his goodness, Jesus Christ in his authority, Jesus Christ in his care, Jesus Christ in his responsibility towards his creation. Right? He says it's not on account of who we are. It's on account of who he is. And when we can sit with that, and when we can say, yes, this cross is sitting in the center of a room because it is truly, truly the focus. It's truly the center. It is truly the example and the expression of love for us. Then whatever we want to say, it says, well, it only covers this part of who I am, or it only covers, you know, this much. We have to lay that down. And say, no, God's blood shed for me, Christ's blood shed for me, covers it all. It covers it all. So I come. Not only laying down the parts that I don't like about myself, but I come also laying down the parts that I don't want to let go. Because I know that you're a good shepherd. I know that you care. 
and love. The book of John is like just overwhelming, right, when it comes to how much Jesus Christ cares and loves his people. In the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. One of the core needs is that sense of safety and security. It's just a core place where we function, where we need to know that there is a place of safety and security. And the one and single most place that is, is in Jesus Christ. Micah here affirms it. He says, and they shall dwell secure. Dwell secure. It's not a promise necessarily for our earthly dwelling, right? But remember, Christ came as a spiritual authority. His kingdom is not of this world. He has complete authority over this world. I 100% believe that. Scripture affirms that. But dwelling secure is knowing who we are created by, knowing who our shepherd is. And we look to him. We focus on him. We lay down whatever is in our life to him, both good and bad. We just say, it's, it's you. Come. I am your sheep. Shepherd me. Jumping back to Matthew 2. The wise men, they come. They find Jesus. They fell down and worshipped him. If earth is this journey towards heaven, right? And if scripture, we know, tells us that in heaven, what, what do we do? What's our sole purpose? Is to worship God, right? Then our earthly walk should do that, right? It should be this, this practice, this repetitive pattern, this daily focus of worshiping him. And so if God has promised to shepherd us, if Micah has prophesied about it, Jesus has walked on this earth and said, I will do it, right? The wise men model this by coming and laying it down and worshiping him. Then we too are called to do likewise, to come and worship him. He'll shepherd the rest, right? He'll lead us to green pastures. He'll provide water for us. He will meet need. He will meet bless. He will, he will bless us in our obedience of worshiping him. It's how it's designed, you know? But we just come and we worship. It's what's asked of us. It's good practice. 
Because the more we can worship him here, the overwhelming, you know, um, presence of Christ in heaven, like his glory just like emanating and saturating everything, you know? And the more I think we can practice that here, the more we can allow our spirits to just engage and worship, the more prepared we're going to be for that very overwhelming, (laughs) very um, glorious moment when we're with him in heaven. Would you pray with me? Father God, um, we just trust in your word, and we just trust in, um, in your design. And um, Father, as we look forward to 2016, just... Um, we just want more of you. We seek to um, just lay down more of ourselves in front of you. We don't have goals. We don't have dreams for 2016. We leave that to you. You know, you'll provide those for us, Lord. We just come and we just want to worship you. Lord, we are your people and you are our shepherd. Just pray that as we, as we continue to look forward, that we would allow you to shepherd us in the way that you have called that we would not fear anything but the Lord God. Because Lord, as you say, we, we will worship what we fear. And Lord, we seek to worship only you. In your name we pray.